Hey, before we get started, I want to remind you that Truce is listener-supported. If you want to be a part of this one-of-a-kind show that asks big questions in an approachable way, become a patron. For just $5 a month, you can help me tell big stories like this upcoming season on the history of fundamentalism. And you'll get access to bonus materials. That's all at patreon.com slash trucepodcast. That's patreon.com slash trucepodcast. The content of this episode may not be suitable for young listeners. Discretion is advised. And I promise we'll have some episodes they can listen to in the future. This is just not one of them. I want to tell you something real, then a myth, and then, hopefully, what I can piece together of the truth to characterize propaganda in the Soviet Union. When Joseph Stalin came to power in 1922 in Russia, things went from bad to worse. Then, in 1932, Forced collectivization tore farmers from their fields, moving them to collective farms. Food was to be harvested for all the people, but there were shortages, massive food shortages. Some families ate as much as they could before collectivization. Better to gorge themselves and then starve than to let the food fall into the hands of the communists. Collectivization brought about the death of millions of farmers. Stalin hoped it would teach the kulaks, the land-owning peasants, a lesson. It turned out to be a grisly one. Anybody who was even thought to be suspicious was hauled away, thrown onto a train, taken to a prison camp in the middle of nowhere, and left to rot. You could be turned in by a neighbor, your wife, your own children, and you'd never see them Such was the fear under the Communist Soviet Union. You are listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture war so we can explore how we got here and how we can do better. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce. God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Now, I'm going to tell you the lie. There was once a boy of 14, like handsome and brave. His name was Pavlik Morozov. In the paintings, he is a strong, proud, blonde-haired boy. He was smart never missed school, and was a good kid. An all-American, I mean, excuse me, an all-Soviet golden boy. 
But little Pavlik found out something about his father, something forbidden under collectivization. His father, the father of the ideal Russian child, was hoarding grain, keeping it for himself instead of surrendering it for the collective good. What was this boy to do? This was his dad, the man who brought him into the world, had held him as a baby, maybe told him stories of the revolution, how evil capitalists were. His own father was hoarding grain, stealing from the people of his country. Pavlik was a good boy, a Soviet hero. He informed on his father, who was dragged away, found guilty, and sentenced to prison. The boy, according to the state, did the right thing. In their eyes, he was a true patriot. Then, on September 3rd, 1932, Pavlik and his little brother went into the woods to pick berries. You can almost imagine them out there with baskets, swatting away insects in the light breeze of late summer. Their perfect day turned out to be their last. According to the official story, they were murdered, possibly by their grandfather, for their treachery. A knife was supposedly found. Relatives of theirs were blamed. Those relatives were also imprisoned, taken away from society, for killing the golden boy, the Marxist ideal. That is the lie. From here on out, I'll do my best to piece together what may have happened. Pavlik, little brave Pavlik, went on to become a legend in the Soviet era. They built literal monuments to him. The little village from which he came sprouted into somewhat of a tourism hub. It's one road buzzing with buses. Because children were brought out to see his grave and the place where he went to school. The government even gave him a catchy name, Pioneer Number One. He was a hero because he dared to believe in the Soviet dream, even to the imprisonment of his own father. Citizens were expected to turn each other in to report suspicious behavior if they saw it. It's no secret that investigations were shams. The secret police didn't have to do research, they just gathered up whoever they could, forced confessions, and locked people up. Like in the fictional but all-too-real world of George Orwell's 1984. Pavlik was their paragon of virtue. Until 70 years later, historians started to question the myth of a young boy whose purity could not be corrupted. It turns out that Pavlik was not such a good student. Some say he couldn't even read. Despite the handsome paintings, the one remaining photograph of him shows a small, skinny, dark-haired boy in the back of his class picture. His father, the one who we can imagine spoke to him of the revolution, had long since walked out on the family, leaving his mother to raise the children by herself. 
it's more likely that she coerced the boy to speak against his father in court so she could get revenge on the man who had left her destitute. Pavlik, it turns out, was not really the exemplar of Soviet purity, but a child caught between two unhappy parents, a kid in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, he really was murdered, though, and one can only imagine why. If you knew that there was a child in your school, your neighborhood, your house, who could land you in a gulag, send your family to a hard labor camp, get people killed, you'd have to walk on eggshells every day of your life. What if he saw you resting during a hard day's work or eating food that belonged to the government even though you were starving? Your children were starving. You'd live in fear of Pavlik every day, every moment for the rest of your life. Nobody can afford a liability like that. So the child was murdered. His relatives really were blamed, though who really knows in that era of witch hunts? Imagine that myth in your culture. Holding up a boy who narked on his starving father, sent his own family to jail. That was the power of Soviet mythology. To make people so afraid and also so patriotic at the same time that they would be willing to praise a mutinous child. I'm telling you this because it's easy to dismiss what happened in the USSR as something in the past, or maybe a grand joke or something that was overinflated in history. It really was a dark and difficult place to live. And yes, as we'll see, the United States reacted in some kind of crazy ways, but they had reason to fear the Soviet Union, a nation that would take an innocent small boy in the back of a school photograph and turn him into a martyr. The Truce Podcast is listener-supported. Please consider donating to help keep this thing going. You can find links to our Patreon and PayPal accounts at trucepodcast.com. This week, I want to challenge you to leave a comment about the show on iTunes. Believe it or not, those comments and rankings help other people find this show, and they can be really helpful. And yes, I read all of them. I'd love to know what you think about this little story. Send me an email at trucepodcast at yahoo.com with your thoughts, maybe even record them as a voice memo, and we might use them on this show. I'm Chris Sterren, and this is Truce.